data from Digital Might and Logic. Welcome to the Kind Data podcast from Digital Might and Logic. I'm Nerm, and on this episode, we're going to be discussing the Great Resignation, a phenomenon brought to light during the pandemic, which is basically everybody leaving their jobs. Joining me today is the CEO of Digital Might and Logic, Anjali Beatty, and Michael Wolf, who is our behavioral science expert. Hi, hey, Norm. What is the great resonation from your perspective? What does it mean to you? Like, is it just people leaving their jobs? What does that mean as a phenomenon? I think to me as a phenomenon, the great resignation is people realizing, um, certainly that, that came to light during the pandemic, that there's more to life than just work. Um, in the Netherlands, we have a saying for it. Um, you, uh, live to, you live to live, you don't live to work. And I think um, the realization of the work-life balance and the importance of, of a work-life balance, certainly because a lot of people worked from home, that realization has made a lot of people come to terms with there could be something different. I am in control of my life. I am in control of what I can do, uh, work and life and work-life balance uh, and decided to leave their jobs and pursue the life balance rather than the work balance. That to me is what the great resignation is. I completely agree with Micah. I think what we saw during those two years was people for the first time in their lives, in many cases, having the opportunity to sit and reflect on what they want their lives to be. And that realization that there's much more to life than work and that there's more to life than a rat race. And those people then had the opportunity to think about what is that next step for me? I think what we see now is a lot of people switching jobs to look at new careers, new types of roles, perhaps many going into more purpose-oriented roles because that's something that emotionally fulfills them. Combine that with the fact that companies let go of a number of employees during the first phase of the lockdown, so around June 2020. So it set up a, a perfect storm in a lot of ways for the great resignation, where these companies then already were on edge with their workforce, because you had people who already were considering leaving, were burning out. And then when everything opened back up and people started to then move companies and, and move industries, there's been a massive shortage of, of employees and hence the context we're in today. Do you think that that's just the nature of business, though, and companies in general, is that they kind of use people as cannon fodder? Like when times are good, we'll hire you when they're bad. Sorry, mate, it's you're on your own. Not necessarily. That might be the perception. I think I think there's a lot of companies that actually do a really, really good job in taking care of their people. Um, I think where where they can improve and and work or, or employers in general can improve is to really, truly understand their workforce. And that's not just throwing a, a bunch of money at people and saying, oh, that'll make, might make them happy. This is about truly understanding who works for you, what makes them motivated to work for you, what drives them, what makes them become really, really effective, what makes them high performers. Um, and when you do that, um, you can um, actually optimize and improve your entire business process. It makes people a lot more effective when they feel that they belong somewhere, when they're recognized. So recognition um, and understanding recognition from the employer perspective to the employee requires that you need to look at those employees first and understand those employees. So I've noticed that that 
great resignation or this phenomenon has been felt across different sectors, whether it's the service industry all the way up to the executive level. There's just a shortage of workers everywhere, whether it's blue collar to white collar. Now, isn't the cost of living crisis going to simply reverse that? Aren't people going to have to return to work to earn a daily crust? That would be the assumption then that they didn't return to a job or they didn't find something new. And in many cases, they have. I think in a lot of industries, what employers dramatically underestimated was the way in which they valued their employees at all and the opportunities for growth that they were providing them. So you mentioned the services industry, for example. There's a reason they're experiencing a a massive shortage, and that has to do with the hours that people work, it has to do with the wages that people were working, but also the growth opportunities that those workers are provided and how viable that is for a longer-term career. And they've gone and they've found other jobs, perhaps in other sectors. Similarly, if you look at the corporate world, It's a similar kind of phenomenon where let's say you have, let's say, talented analysts in different companies who then decide they either want to try something new or that they could be valued more elsewhere. And the reality is, and I think this is sort of an unspoken uh, data point amongst workers, which is that when you jump companies, your salary can increase. It increases your bargaining power. So, And in addition to that, it gives you the opportunity to find something that psychologically fulfills you. So if you as the company are trying to retain people, or even as a sector you're trying to retain people, and you don't understand what those factors are that people truly psychologically need, whether it's an opportunity for growth, that desire for purpose, and to contribute to the world in a positive way, and you're focusing on the money element, it almost doesn't matter at this point because there's so many jobs available that even in a great rehiring or a great salary convergence or an impending great recession, people are still finding those opportunities and it's still truly an employee's market, not an employer's market. And and to your question, um, also, Norm, to add to that, if, if there's an impending recession and people take on new jobs because they need to, it's because of an intrinsic motivation, just monetary temporary reward. And they're not necessarily intrinsically motivated to work at that company because they want to. So there is also a risk for those companies that when that recession sort of tones down, they'll leave again because it's temporary effort. And that costs businesses a lot of money. You know, you invest in people, you expect them to stay uh, and perform for your company, make a connection to your company and become better uh, together. And, And in that case, you will not have that connection. It's just a connection based on money only. It's very transactional. Isn't that a bit sort of hippy-dippy and a bit touchy-feely, like all this stuff about, oh, you know, you've got to make sure that they're all comfortable and happy. I mean, and you've just said needs versus wants, right? Everyone needs a roof over their head. Everyone needs to eat. Everyone needs, you know, to survive, right? And the wants seem a bit like, oh, I need to go hug a tree. Like, I mean, is this scientific? Is there a way of actually measuring this? Absolutely, there is a way of measuring this. When we talk about needs, wants, well-being, all of these things that seem very fluffy that get talked about a lot within the context of the great resignation and the why behind people have left, all of these things are dimensions we can measure. And that is the beauty of psychology. It gives us very strong variables that have been validated in science for the past 40, 50 years 
that help us understand these constructs for why people do what they do and why they need what they need. Yes, we all need roofs over our head. Yes, we need to eat. But we also need to feel like we are we are fulfilled, that we are actually contributing something to our workplace and to our society, that we feel valued, that we feel a sense of belonging, um, that we feel included, uh, that we feel challenged, and all of these things you can measure. And we do that through social psychology, we do it through psychometrics, and there's a lot of different ways of measuring that. I will avoid going into a technical rabbit hole as to how we do that, but all of the dimensions and the ways of measuring those exist within those those constructs of social psychology and psychometrics. So it's not like looking at a horoscope then? It's not. No, no. not really. <laughs> Actually, I did have my, my uh, stepfather asked me once whether data science and astrology are the same thing. And perhaps that is a fair question and gets to your question, Nirm. Uh, they are profoundly different, um, although <laughs> there might be some astrologers listening to this who disagree. But the way that we look at it is through v- those specific variables that are predictors of behavior. So when we look at predictors of why somebody would leave a job, we'll look at what we call intrinsic motivators. So when we talk about intrinsic motivators within the field, and to take that into common language, when we talk about intrinsic motivators, we're talking about psychologically what matters to somebody. Again, purpose, their values, all of these things which ultimately dictate whether we're going to feel fulfilled in our jobs or not. That's fundamentally what we look at through scientific approaches, not necessarily, you know, reading somebody's horoscope. I think when you talk about um, fluffiness, and this feels rather fluffy, uh, it is, it might be a little bit. I think the importance is to distinguish also for for employers and organizations, there's a difference between compensation and recognition. And our perceived fairness in pay is more about than, than just about money. And just bringing a bucket of money. And I think there's there's a lot of examples of companies that have done that. Just reward people financially, where uh, in fact, it left a lot of people still feeling unnoticed or unappreciated, but just with more salary. And in the end, that doesn't make you fundamentally happy. So the fluffy bit of what makes you happy. So not asking your employee, are you happy? Yes or no. <laughs> But going a little bit deeper then, what is it that makes you happy? And if that means spending time with my family, maybe you should um, be more flexible in your working from home policy or maternity leave policies uh, or anything like that. So going a little bit deeper into the why, what makes people tick. Um, and that also will get you to what will make people work a little bit harder or go the extra mile for your, for your, um, for your company. It's not about them only. It's about the perfect balance between gathering that data and connecting it to business objectives, uh, which can actually increase the effectiveness um, of your of your staff. To Micah's point earlier about transactional relationships, and that in many instances, the relationship employees f- felt that they had with their company was much more transactional. When you actually understand these deeper psychological elements for why, why people need what they need to be motivated to go the extra mile, that moves you beyond a transactional relationship. And that's one where employees will truly feel loyal, where they will want to stay, where they will want to go the extra mile. And that's ultimately what you want them to do if you're an employer. And we also live in a construct now where 
after the pandemic and the two hellish years everybody experienced, everyone's seeking a, a bit more than just a transactional relationship now. Things need to have meaning. They need to have purpose. So you as a company need to understand what those factors are that give somebody that sense of meaning and purpose. Otherwise, they'll go elsewhere that's speaking to those innate needs that they have. So it's it's gone beyond the thing of like, oh, a fair day's pay for a fair day's work and then you go live your life afterwards. That's not the reality anymore, you're saying? No, 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 so, no. Even from a working perspective, if you're on conference calls, let's say, you know, 12, 14 hours a day, as many employees are, especially in the corporate world, it's not any more a fair day's pay for a fair day's wage because there is quite a bit that's expected of employees to keep keep things functioning during these times of crisis. So there's a significant imbalance already. And in order to really sort of motivate people still and make them feel connected to what they're doing, there needs to be a bit more than, than just the uh, monetary reward for what somebody does in their, their jobs. And I think that with the cost of everything going up, this glooming, looming recession that's on its way, then aren't people going to revert back to that psychology of wanting to just like to be transactional because of the stress? I think the pandemic uh, has showed us that it's actually quite, it's the opposite. So the pandemic was a time of uh, lots of stress and fear. What's going to happen? How many people are going to survive? Literally. So imminent danger and imminent threat. And during that time, we saw the exact opposite. So this imminent threat is different because it might be monetary. Am, am I going to be able to pay um, um, for my rent, for my insurances, for food, basic, basic needs? So yes, temporarily, that might mean people will take a second job uh, or, or leave a job to go to go somewhere that makes a little bit more money. But on the long haul, um, that will not make them stay because the motivator itself is, is like Anjali just said, very transactional and doesn't come from, from, from within that intrinsic motivation. Do I really want to be here? No, they need to be there to get paid and to survive, basically. Um, and that's not what you want. You want to wake up every morning thinking, yes, I get to go to work, rather than, oh my God, I need to go to work. So in the long haul, intrinsically motivated um, uh, is a lot better than extrinsically motivated. So you hear stories about various companies that treat their employees really well and employees speak highly of them and they stick around for longer and they're more productive and they make more money for the companies, basically is that. But why don't all companies do that? What, what's stopping anyone doing this? That's a great question. I think there's a, a few dimensions to it. One is, especially in companies that, let's say, have cultures that are a bit older or cultures that you know, have existed with uh, a different value set for a long period of time. It's a challenge to shift the organizational culture and the organizational behavior to start to adopt these different types of practices. And secondly, they don't have the data to be able to do that, to track it, to measure its effectiveness. And it also helps sort of reinforce within the organization the value of adopting these sorts of mechanisms. So in a way, it actually starts with data, which gives that understanding of A, why you actually need this and shows the impact of it, but also allows you to understand longer term what the effectiveness of it is. Otherwise, you sort of have a loose sense maybe of 
some of the, the reasons why you're losing people, but uh, you don't know exactly why. And you might link that to other things that might not necessarily be accurate, but data ultimately is your, uh, it, it's, it's the mirror for the organization of itself and how it operates and how it needs to change. And many companies still don't have that kind of data yet. I mean, how can you measure something like, oh, well, you know, we're paying our employees this much, but the lift's broken and they have to walk up four flights of stairs every day, or the air conditioning doesn't work, the temperature's off for an office. Like, how are you going to measure all of that, those different factors? Because that would wind me up. Do you know what I mean? No matter how much I'm getting paid, if I'm in a cold room, I'm like, mate, come on, sort this out. And you might be motivated, as you say, to just go somewhere else that's warmer. <laughs> that's a really good. That's a really good example. I think walking those uh, twelve flights of stairs with no air conditioning uh, might make a lot of people leave. Actually, but that's that's the recognition and being heard part. Uh, I think again and saying what does really matter to me. Um, it's the same as a cup of coffee. You enter the office and the coffee is absolutely dreadful. Uh, if people say, just keep working hard, you're getting paid more than enough, in the end, it starts to bother you. And that sort of adds up. And in the end, you're like, I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to leave. Um, I think going back to, to uh, your previous question as well, because I think that's very relevant, is also the environment that we live in nowadays, the, the new workforce that's entering the, mar- the, the market, um, the very digitally, digitally Um, and tech-savvy workforce that we have. More traditionalist companies that have always made money regardless uh, are going to face an era where where, uh, not only people, but the environment that they operate in has changed significantly. So for more traditionalist companies that have said, oh, we've always done it this way, first the internet came, then everybody had to start using emails rather than than letters and faxes. Uh, this is going a, a little bit uh, further, a step further, with also a generation, a Gen Z, coming into the market saying, I'm not going to take that anymore. I just won't. And I think that realization, even for very traditionalist companies, is very important to take into account. If you don't um, serve the needs of those those types of people, uh, the need to to explore, to be innovative, to be creative, to be flexible, those people will not stay. Those people will not stay. So it's it's uh, <laughs> just from both sides. Also, companies realizing realizing that um, what Angeli mentioned before is actually an employees market, not necessarily an employers market anymore. What? impending crisis for companies is next once this gets solved do you reckon oh wow norm that's a very good question because you've given us the answers you know you've said well you've got to do this 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 to retain people and make them happy but what possible thing on the horizon would come after that and make them go oops flexibility and creativity yeah i would say flexibility and creativity yeah or the lack of it, you mean? Yes, yes. So the interplay between uh, you as an employer and your your uh, workforce, that that interplay between the two should be a very symbiotic relationship where, in fact, you see it's usually one versus the other. We will decide how you shall work. Um, and I think that should be far more symbiotic, far more symbiotic. And that requires flexibility and creativity. Uh, on behalf of organizations and saying, well, maybe we should change the work environment or change the way people live. And if, if they're not able or capable to do that, I think that will provide a very big crisis, an next big crisis, because people will just refuse and say, oh, fine, I'll just go somewhere else. 
I'm thinking about that more on the macro level, which is the a possible another lockdown in the winter combined with a recession. And I think that has the likelihood of pushing people to a point where if they're not given what they need from their employer, truly given what they need, there will be a mass exodus of employees when that recession ends. So I think now is a really critical moment for employers to get ahead of the curve and to start looking at what is it that their employees need to feel connected to them, to feel happy, to stay motivated in times of crisis and uncertainty. Because it's not just companies that in their um, econometric models are trying to figure out what's going to happen in the ecosystem. And many of those models tend not to account for employees and what employees' needs and wants are and what they are going to do. But fundamentally, every challenge and addressing every challenge comes down to understanding human behavior. And again, those models not taking those factors into account and thinking about what do we actually need to have in place to make sure our people are taken care of, that they feel innately that we care. If that doesn't happen, I would predict that there'd be a mass exodus that occurs. It sounds almost like all of these uh, crises or all these events that happen that change how people behave are fundamentally changing how companies have to behave as well. It's like a knock-on effect. It's like, a well, humans instinctively do this and now companies have to adapt. It seems like that's a continual process that's going to have to happen if companies want to survive against their competitors, I guess. It gives them an advantage over their, their rivals, maybe. It has, but I think throughout history that has always been the case, whether it was uh, in the industrial uh, revolution or, or in the corporate environment nowadays where everybody sits on a chair behind a screen uh, all day. It, it always has, and inherently uh, we've seen that throughout history as well. You have to adapt to, to the workforce and the kind of services that you, that you deliver. So, um, yeah, besides, besides uh, Anjali's point, it's, it's, again, the flexibility, like reading the room, <laughs> what's happening in the context, what's happening in your environment, and don't be blind uh, to it, uh, whether it's for your employees or, or CSR initiatives. Um, open up, yeah, and look around and gather the right type of data in order to make those right decisions, because I think that's, that's <laughs> where it's lacking uh, mostly. Yeah, not having the right data to make those decisions. I completely agree with Micah. Fundamentally, if you don't innovate, you die. Yeah. <laughs> and the same thing applies to thinking about talent of the future. If you don't innovate your business practices, you're not going to be able to attract that next generation of talent that is going to help you innovate in a context and an environment with an incredible amount of uncertainty and new technology. So it's critical to understand, and as Micah very poignantly said, to read the room and to read the room using data. Otherwise, the companies will not be able to get ahead of those challenges. I love the fact that this is entirely scientific and really practical, it seems. Thank you, Micah. Thank you, Anjali, for breaking it down to a layperson like myself. I've been Nerm. This has been the Kind Data Podcast. You can find out more from us at digitalmightlogic.com and where all good podcasts live. <laughs>